Ephraim carries deceitful weights in their hand. For their grave sins, they'll be kicked out of their land. The ten lost tribes will not survive the birth pains. Those in Hashem's shadow will be revived like grain. So this week's, uh, this week's Parsha is Parsha by Yetze, and the Haftorah is found in Hoshea. Um, and there's actually, uh, this is one of those weeks where the Svardim and the Ashkenazim uh, read two different Haftorahs. However, they are actually both next to each other. Uh, the Svardim begin in Hoshea, and then after the Svardim finish, then immediately in the next verse, the Ashkenazi, uh, the, the Ashkenaz begins um, uh, in, in, until uh, until the end of the until the end of the Haftorah. So, the Haftorah begins uh, for the Svardim by saying, "Ami, my people, um, waver about returning to me." So it's interesting. The Haftorah begins by Hashem calling the Jewish people, "Ami, my people," even though. Um, as immediately, uh, you know, the next few words clarify that the Jewish people are not returning to Hashem and they're, and they're wavering. What does it mean to waver? The commentaries say it means that, um, that basically the Jewish people wanted God to take the first step uh, towards Teshuva and not the other way around. Not that, you know, the Jewish people um, should have been the one that takes the first step towards Teshuva. However, they want God to take the first step. Um, and we'll actually see in this Haftorah that God eventually will take the first step in the times of the Mashiach, unless if the Jewish people take that first step, you know, first and, and make the Mashiach come faster than it would have otherwise. Um, so the Haftorah continues, um, though they call them to Al-Al, the Supreme One, though they call them to the Supreme One, they are united in not exalting Him. So, Although the Jewish people um, are in, are are you know are are in Israel and are maybe superficially calling out to God, in reality they're not exalting God. They're not giving God the the proper uh, proper cover, the proper honor that that he deserves. Um, the Avtori continues by saying, "How can I hand you over Ephraim or deliver you Israel?" Um, and Ephraim is referring to the ten lost tribes. Israel also is actually referring to the ten lost tribes. Um, and how can I make you like Admas or Zeboim? These two cities, Admas and Zeboim, are uh, two cities that were destroyed um, with the with with Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, so uh, those are you know a few of those cities that were totally destroyed. And basically, God is saying, I can't completely destroy you like I did um, the cities of Admas and Zeboim. Um, and my heart is over, this is Hashem speaking, my heart is overturned and my mercies have gathered together. Um, and I won't carry out my burning wrath. I won't destroy Ephraim because I'm God, I'm not man. So basically this is saying that a normal person, if a person saw all the sins, if, you know, a, 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 like a, a, a human ruler, a king, saw all the sins that the ten tribes are doing, a normal human ruler would say, forget you, I'm abandoning you. However, God is saying, I'm not a person, I'm not a human ruler, rather, I'm God, and therefore, I won't completely destroy you, I won't abandon you, even though the normal course of action, um, you know, the normal punishment should have been that the ten tribes were completely annihilated. The reality is that they won't be completely annihilated because God has mercy on them. Um, 
and kel anochi velo ish, that I, I'm God, I'm not man, therefore I won't completely destroy Ephraim, even though a normal human ruler would do just that. And then it says, holy in your midst won't enter a city. Um, and then the Haftorah continues by saying, they follow after Hashem like a lion, like an Ari, uh, he will roar. So like a lion, God will roar and he'll, God will rule, will, will roar like a lion and his children will stir from the West. Um, and perhaps they'll stir from, from, uh, they'll stir like a, like a bird that's in Egypt, like a dove that's in Ashur and I'll settle them. Um, it's interesting. It says on their homes, all on their homes says Hashem. So this is basically saying that um, both Egypt and Ashur, Assyria, were two places that the ten tribes tried to make, um, you know, alliances with. And basically, uh, the Jewish people are criticized. The ten tribes specifically are criticized here for making alliances with these non-Jewish nations, who ultimately would come to uh, to abandon their their pledges to help the Jewish people. Um, and the point being here, why, why are the Jewish people called a dove? Perhaps because, um, the Jewish people are peaceful, uh, like a dove and they are faithful to their meat like a dove, um, et cetera. So they, they, so anyway, so it says that, that basically the Jewish people will, um, in the times of the Moshiach come from Egypt, come from Ashur, come from these places that they thought were safe, that they thought were allies. And even from those countries that they thought were allies will ultimately abandon them. And then they will ultimately come to Eretz Israel. And I think, you know, we've seen this with the modern state of Israel to a certain extent that a lot of um, Sephardi countries, those people have been there for many, many thousands of years in places, you know, um, like Iraq, in places like Iran, uh, et cetera, Egypt. You know, they've been, that Jewish people have been there forever. And in recent times, those people, you know, in the last hundred years, those people have pretty much all been kicked out of their countries and ultimately have settled in, in Israel. Um, and why does it say settle on their homes, all um, on their homes instead of in their homes? Perhaps because um, Hashem, basically Hashem is the, 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 what makes them comforted, what makes the, the Jewish people comforted is that God will protect them, that God will protect sort of over their homes, all, um, as opposed to they're, they're, they'll find protection from God over their homes as opposed to in their homes. Um, the Aftora continues by saying, Ephraim surrounded me with falsehood um, and Beit Yisrael with deceit, uh, but Yehuda still ruled with a God and was faithful. So this is, again, speaking about how basically these ten tribes are totally off the derech, are com- completely not following um, the, you know, the, the commandments. They are surrounded by falsehood. Um, why, why, w- what does this mean, surrounded by falsehood? So the commentaries explain Potentially, it means that they basically their teshuva was insincere. Um, their attempts to, to, to get back to Yiddishkeit were, were insincere. Alternatively, it means that falsehood means that they were committing adultery. They had, were doing bad business practices and they were making these human allies. They thought that their only allies could be in human form uh, and they didn't trust in God. Uh, and that's perhaps the falsehood. But it says uh, Yehuda, however, that the, um, you know, that not the 10 lost tribes, uh, Yehuda and Levi, that they were still faithful to God. However, we see later in the Haftorah, they're not so faithful either, but better at least than the 10 tribes. So Ephraim, um, the 10 tribes, they embrace the wind, the Roa Ruach, they embrace the wind, they pursue the east wind. All day, um, 
he increases, he, Ephraim, increases falsehood. They seal a covenant with Ashur and transport oil with Mitzrayim. So again, these are talking about, um, you know, they, they have this covenant with this non-Jewish nation of Assyria with Ashur, and they are giving oil as sort of a peace treaty with Mitzrayim, with Egypt. And basically these two peace treaties with Mitzrayim and Ashur ultimately um, are, you know, they, the, these two countries don't follow up on their promises and uh, they actually end up cheating the Jewish people. Uh, and it says that's basically sort of what you get. They have to, the, you know, um, Hosea is, is, is complaining against the Jewish people by saying that's sort of what you get when you think that you can abandon God and hope that your human allies uh, will be trustworthy. The Aftorah continues by saying Hashem has contention with Yehuda. Um, so basically now it's now it's turning, it's uh, you know, we're, we're turning the blame on Yehuda. So we said before, at least Yehuda is not as bad as the ten tribes that were completely lost. But um, Yehuda wasn't so great either. Hashem has a contention with Yehuda. Um, they visit Yaakov with his evil ways, and Hashem will repay him with his for his evil deeds. So uh, Yehuda also has has its issues. Um, it says the Torah says in the womb he Yaakov grabbed onto his brother's heel and with strength struggled with an angel of God and prevailed. So we read in last week's parsha about the story where Yaakov held onto the heel of his brother Esav on the way out of the womb. Um, and one of the commentaries say something uh, sort of interesting that basically um, that what is the sin? What is the evil thing that Yaakov did? Um, perhaps that they gave a story about uh, a mother that tried to sue her child for kicking her in the womb, and uh, the 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 government said, "Sorry, but you know that's not a that's not illegal for a, a child uh, in utero to kick a to kick their mother in the womb." And similarly, and and basically, and therefore, um, the the child would not be punished. So therefore, the Haftorah is potentially saying that. Um, that even though Yaakov had made had made some mistakes when it was young in the womb, it grabbed onto its brother's heel. But however, um, even though it grabbed, you know, even though in the womb he uh, might have not been perfect, um, you know, there's no you, you you can't be in trouble for what you do in the womb, uh, perhaps. Um, and then of course we read about how he struggled with the with the angel of God and prevailed and was ultimately called. Um, you know, it was changed. He changed his name from Yaakov to Yisrael. Um, and he had a complete mastery over Asaph. Maybe that's why we read about how Asaph, how, how he, how Yaakov was able to defeat Asaph's angel is because he had a ma- and, and, and that, that's proof that Yaakov had mastery over Asaph if on the condition that the Jewish people followed, um, followed the Torah. Um, and then, the uh, the angel wept and said, uh, in Beit El, he'll find us and speak to us. And where is this place, Beit El? Uh, perhaps it is uh, actually um, on Temple Mount. It's the, the, the Beit Amigdash is Beit El. Uh, and, but also we see that Yaakov in this week's Haftorah set up a stone monument on Beit El um, and uh, and, and, and worshiped God there and promised to give uh, Miser, promised to give one-tenth of his future earnings to God. However, this stands in sharp contrast to the ten tribes where they uh, worshiped calves on Beit El. Um, and then it says, Hashem is Tzavaot. Hashem is the master of legions. And as for you, return to your God. And then Chesed Mishbat Shomor. 
um, that observe kindness and observe justice and always have hope in God. But while that's what you should do, instead, um, the Ten Lost Tribes, they were uh, traitors with scales of deceit in their hand. So basically, it's just talking about they had measures, you know, they had something that said it weighed a pound, even though it really weighed less than a pound, um, so that they'd be able to cheat uh, the people that came into their store. And it says that these people, they were dishonest with business. They loved to cheat. And Ephraim complains, though. Um, Ephraim says, I've been rich. I've found power in my toil. They'll find no sin. Ephraim is saying, basically, uh, yeah, maybe I haven't gotten there 100% in the right way. But ultimately, um, you know, those, you know, it's the, the golden rule. Those with the gold make the rules. That Ephraim saying, I've become rich because of my practices. And uh, in my wealth, I found power, so I don't really care that I've been doing it illegally to get there. Um, however, Hashem comes back and says, um, I'm Hashem, I took you out of Mitzrayim, um, and I will settle you in tents like earlier times. And this is basically a threat. It's saying that, you know, we, Ephraim thinks that, uh, you know, it, it sort of, it became rich just on its own making. However, it's very clear from the from earlier times when God took us out of Egypt and when in the in the tents uh, during the midbar, that um, that God sort of saved the Jewish people in those times, um, and because of that, uh, you know, Hashem is threatening Ephraim by saying, "If you really think you're all powerful, I'll send you back out to the desert, and I won't help you by settling you in tents. I'll kick you out of your land, send you in the desert. I won't give you tents like I did back in the day." And I'll see how you do. You'll have to literally, you know, um, try to, you know, make your way in maybe sukkahs like you had to back then um, and see how you like it now uh, without my divine protection. So then, um, and, and also another way to read this is just like when God took the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, um, you know, he killed the firstborn and God somehow knew which child and which animal was the firstborn. Um, and similarly, uh, God must know that a person is, you know, uh, being dishonest in business. So Hashem says, since I led you out of Mitzrayim, um, he led us out of Mitzrayim with the death of the firstborn, and he knew which which person was born first. So too, God would know uh, if you did something that was, you know, not uh, against business ethics. The Aftar continues, I spoke with the Nevi'im and provided allegories and visions. So Hashem says, I've given you all sorts of chances. I've given, you know, you prophecies about allegories and visions of what will happen to you if you don't reform yourselves. If Gilad suffered destruction, um, they were vanity. In Gilgal, they will shecht oxen, they'll kill oxen, and their altars will be like heaps on the field. Um, the point here is that basically... Uh, you know that that the it, it sort of ends on a on a sad. This is this is how the Svardim conclude, um, and it ends on a sad note. That basically the Haftorah concludes by saying these ten tribes are totally lost. The ten, these ten tribes, they um, they you know are doing idol worship. They're giving oxen to their idols. Um, they are not listening to prophecies, and their altars, their idolatrous altars, are like heaps on a field. Um, and that's how the Svardim end, which is pretty rare. Normally, Haftorahs end on a happy note. The Svardim here, though, conclude uh, with a sad note that basically the Ten Lost Tribes are completely gone uh, from the history of the Jewish people. The Ashkenaz now, um, Ashkenazim start their Haftorah with this. 
um, which is the very next next pasuk, by saying that Yaakov fled to the field of Aram. Um, and this is, of course, talking about uh, our Parsha. Our, our Parsha speaks about in Bayetze about how Yaakov fled, ran away, um, r- ran away from Lavan. And it's interesting, the word that the, that the Haftorah uses, that, that, that Hoshea uses, is um, Vayivrach Yaakov, which means that, Marsha, that, that, that uh, Yaakov basically fled, he ran away. However, the, in the Parsha, it only says Vayelech Yaakov, that Yaakov walked away. And the discrepancy is resolved by saying that in the Parsha, even though literally he was running for his life, um, a person that believes in God, I guess that Yaakov had such belief that he would be fine, that even though he was sort of running, he wasn't worried for his life. It was as if he just walked away. Um, so the truth is really he did run, but it felt like to him, like he was just walking away because he had such faith that everything would be okay. Um, so he fled So he fled to Aram um, and then he worked, uh, Israel worked for a wife and, um, and guarded, and, and for a wife, he guarded sheep. So it mentions this language sort of twice, that he worked for a wife and for a wife, he guarded sheep. And perhaps the reason is, is because of course, um, you know, there were two, there were, there were, there were two aspects that the verse says that Yaakov worked for a wife because he had to work for Leah and then he had to work for Rachel. Um, so that's why it has to repeat that he worked for a wife, for a wife he guarded sheep. That repetition is to say that he worked for both. What does it mean he worked for a, a woman, he worked for a wife? Um, so I think the simple understanding is he worked those seven years for Lavan, um, you know, to, to marry his wife. Uh, however, another interpretation is when it says he worked, it means really he was an Ovid Hashem. He was a servant of God working in the yeshiva of Shem and Ever, um, working on himself, working, uh, you know, serving God. And then through that service, he was worthy to have a wife or have, have wives that have the status of Leah and Rachel. Um, and then, uh, so Yaakov fleed, fled, ran away from, from Esav and, uh, he worked hard yet. He recognized that all of this was from Hashem that basically, you know, in, it's not like there were so many miracles uh, outward miracles that happened when Yaakov had to run away from Esav. He, you know, couldn't just trust that God would save him. He actually had to run away. Similarly, he actually had to work really hard for, um, for, for Lavan. Nonetheless, he recognizes that, you know, these weren't, these actually were miracles. These actually were gifts from God. And so to the Jewish people, even if you don't see outward miracles, we're supposed to recognize the good that, uh, that, that, that's done to us. So um, the Aftorah continues, a prophet from Hashem brought the Jews out of Egypt and guarded us um, for 40 years. And uh, the point here is, it says, a prophet from Hashem. So we, you know, the, the, the 10 tribes are criticized for being a little bit too pragmatic, for using political leaders, for using sort of political masterminds um, for, to, to get what they wanted. However, they didn't recognize that that ultimately comes from God. And therefore, it, the Haftorah is very explicit by saying a prophet, a Navi from Hashem. This is talking about Moshe, um, that Moshe brought the Jews out of Egypt, not some political mastermind. Rather, it was Moshe, um, the person that worked you know, on, on God's behalf, was the mastermind of, was, was, was the one that uh, got the Jews out of Egypt, not some political, uh, not, not, not some politician, not some person that's detached from the dominion of, of, of God. 
um, then it's the Avtorah continues by saying um, that Ephraim was was uh, trembling. What is this? What is this referring to? That Ephraim's trembling. It's referring to Yeravam um, that he was uh, he he trembled when he had to criticize King Shlomo. Um, and why did he criticize King Shlomo? He criticized King Shlomo for a couple reasons. One was he levied a toll. So so King Shlomo uh, basically levied a toll on anybody in the ten tribes trying to get into Israel um, for trying to get in, into Jerusalem for the Shalosh Rogalim. So they had to get to Israel to practice the Shalosh Rogalim, yet they had to pay a toll that Shlomo, um, that Shlomo made in, just in order to get into the city. So just to do their basic religious observance, they had to pay this hefty fine. And um, Yoravam criticized King Shlomo for this fine and said, basically, you're preventing, um, you're preventing the, the people of the Ten Tribes from serving God uh, in the right way. And, but he was trembling because he was so nervous criticizing a king as great as King Shlomo. However, that was the right decision to criticize him. Ultimately, he was elevated. Another reason why Yoravam um, criticized King Shlomo is because King Shlomo overslept um, during the inauguration of the Veda Migdash, and Yoravam sort of burst in and woke up King Shlomo, and um, he was trembling uh, in that moment. Um, however, it was the right thing that he criticized King Shlomo because Shlomo Melech should have been criticized for basically corruptly um, uh, levying a toll on the people that were trying to get into, into, into Jerusalem. Um, so he was actually elevated, Yoravam was elevated ultimately to become the king of the ten tribes. However, and this was sort of a, a little bit of a rebuke against Yoravam. Yoravam maybe was a little bit too confident in criticizing King Shlomo and Therefore, God said, if you really think that it's so easy to be a king like King Shlomo, I'll make you a king over the ten tribes and see how you like it, see how you do. So, um, of course, Yeravam did terribly. Yeravam, when he actually became king, he, um, he basically didn't like the people uh, coming in to Yerushalayim to practice you know, the, the Shalosh Rogalim. Uh, Pesach, Sukkot, and Shavuot. He didn't like them traveling to Jerusalem, so rather he just set up he set up idols um, in his in his land and told the people to go there to for the Shalosh Rogalim instead of going to the Beit Hamikdash. However, ultimately, even though he set up idols to sort of worship God, that was the wrong decision because ultimately the people ended up worshiping those idols for idolatry's sake. And you're not, you know, you so so. Therefore, in Judaism, you're not even allowed to have an idol in order to worship God. You have to worship God directly. Um, and he made that mistake and thought that he would set up these idols to try to prevent the people from coming into the, to, by prevent the people from coming to Jerusalem for the Shalosh Regalim. And ultimately, because he made he led the people, his ten tribes astray, um, and they started worshiping idols. And ultimately, he was put to death. Yoravam was was put to death. He got a taste of his own medicine, criticizing King Shlomo. He he ultimately, in the end, was uh, corrupt himself. And people, so and then, Yaftura continues by saying that people would make themselves images of silver that were shaped just like the idols that Yoravam built. And these were sort of pocket-sized idols. They could put them in their bags in their pockets. And um, they said, uh, whoever kisses these mini idols. It's as if they brought human sacrifices to them, the Aftorah says. So what does this mean? Um, so idol worship 
was so rampant um, at this time that they believed that, you know, uh, if they, um, that, that they would kiss their idols uh, and that would be a way to worship them. What, what's this human sacrifice aspect of it? So one of them is talking about the wicked, um, the wicked idol worship of Moloch, where they would, uh, the, the highest form of worshiping this, this evil uh, idol worship of Moloch was that you sacrificed your own child. And if you did sacrifice your own child before you sacrificed your child, you kissed their, their statue, their idol. Um, and uh, another interpretation of what does this mean that you kiss their, uh, you know, that uh, you, if, when, when you kiss idolatry, it's as if you brought animal sacrifices. Another interpretation is a little bit strange. The sages say that, um, that these corrupt idol worshiping, um, you know, uh, these corrupt idol worshiping, um, uh, rabbis, uh, so to speak, they would basically, uh, show, they, they would, they would take the faces, they would take pictures of the faces of wealthy people and they would show, uh, calves, they would show, um, you know, uh, uh, sheep, the faces of these wealthy people. And then they would, uh, unfortunately they would starve the sheep. And then, um, when these wealthy people showed up, they, these, these sheep would go running towards them, begging for food and licking them and kissing them. Um, and then, uh, they, because these wealthy people worship the sheep, uh, the, these idol worshiping, um, you know, uh, these idol worshiping rabbis would say, well, since you can see that these sheep are kissing you, that must mean that they, that, that, uh, that God desires you as a sacrifice, but instead of having to kill yourself for a sacrifice, we'll just take your money. Um, so that was sort of a way that they would, uh, that these idol worshipers would exhort, you know, extort money away from people by claiming that, uh, you know, these calves were running after the real reason they were running after them is because they wanted food, but, uh, they were running after them, uh, and kissing them. And that was a way to sort of extort money from those people. Interesting uh, note. Okay. So the Haftorah continues by saying, uh, the 10 tribes will be like a cloud of dew that evaporates in the sun. Um, so just like a cloud or just like dew that when the sun comes up, the, that, that, you know, dew dissipates, or, or shaft is blown away, or um, smoke blows out a window, so too, the ten tribes, they will also dissipate, just like, you know, and disappear, uh, just like uh, smoke that blows out a window. The Aftor continues, I am God that took you out of Egypt, and you should recognize no fake God, because there's no Savior except for me. Um, remember when I took you in the wilderness, in, you know, the, the, years, the, the years of your need, um, but when you entered Israel, um, when you entered the pasture, when you entered Eretz Israel, you became so wealthy, your heart became so proud that you ultimately forgot Hashem. And the, uh, the Torah warns against this. The Torah warns that when the Jewish people go into, go into Israel, they'll ultimately forget God. And that's exactly what happened, that, that um, even though the Jewish people relied on God during the times of Egypt, you know, in the times of um, getting out of Egypt, and during the times of the of Bamidbar, nonetheless, when they got into Israel and they became wealthy, they ultimately forgot God. Then it says, I, Hashem, will be like a lion that tears its prey, like a leopard that, um, that lurks for them and rips them apart um, and will tear the closed part of their heart. Um, so what does this mean? That, so so uh, the Gentile, so it's, it's not saying that God himself 
will tear the Jewish people apart. Rather, it's saying that basically God will not stop the Gentile nations from tearing the Jewish people apart. And the Gentile nations are compared to a lion, a leopard, a bear, and a lioness, four different animals for correlate corresponding to the four empires that ruled over the Jewish people. Um, one interesting note here is says, you know, it says that, uh, these wild animals will tear the closed part of our hearts. Uh, and perhaps that's referring to basically the Jewish people close themselves off to doing teshuva. And ultimately that's part of the, um, that's sort of part of the rehabilitation process is that these wild animals, these, these, uh, empires that rule over the Jewish people will tear open, will physically, you know, will, 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 uh, will tear open our hearts until, uh, we are open to, to do teshuva, uh, receptive, um, to do teshuva. Okay. So then the Aftorah says, your help depends on me. Um, why not turn to me? Uh, then it says, you know, I'll exist. I'll exist forever, but where is your king? Can he save you? Um, where are your leaders to rescue you? And I gave you Shaul. I gave you a king in my anger. Um, and I will take that king away in my wrath. So again, this is criticizing uh, the Ten Lost Tribes for basically being too heavily reliant on a king, being too heavily reliant on a human ruler and thinking that a human ruler um, that is not subservient to God can be successful. Rather, though, the the Haftorah criticizes the Jewish people for saying that basically God did give us Shaul um, in, you know, but, but God gave us Shaul only because we wanted it, but ultimately that would only last for two years and God would, you know, take away Shaul. And Shaul um, is criticized for basically ruling for the wrong purposes. Shaul was supposed to rule the Jewish people under, ultimately under the dominion of God. A king that, obe that obeys God is beneficial for the Jewish people, but a king that rules independently of God um, will ultimately lead to Hashem's anger. Then it says, Ephraim's sin is remembered, his guilt is stored away until the measure is full and the time is right. And this is a general philosophy for why sort of good things happen to bad people, that basically God is sort of waiting, so to speak, um, until, uh, you know, enough sins are stored away, until its measure is full, until the time is right to act. Because if, if God acted right away, the first, you know, thing, that bad thing that happened, God punished you then you would have no free will to repent. The Haftorah continues, though, that Ephraim ultimately will be punished with labor pains. There will be labor pains that come over the ten tribes, and they will not be able to withstand the agony of childbirth. Um, and uh, this is actually a, viewed as a little bit of a comfort to the ten tribes, though, that the ten tribes in childbirth, as painful as it is, ultimately it's, you know, birth to new life. And so too, the 10 tribes, even though they ultimately will be punished with a terrible pain of childbirth, so to speak, a terrible pain of being kicked out and forgotten about, in the end of days, in the times of Mashiach, they will be reborn. Then it says, I redeem them from the grave and I free them from death. But at the time of punishment, you'll die to the grave and, you won't, and I won't change my mind unless you do teshuva. Um, then the Haftorah continues that there will be an east wind that will blow from the desert and will dry up his fountain and rob the treasury of precious vessels. And basically that this wind from Hashem, um, from Assyria, uh, will blow in the, basically the, uh, the, 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 the empires, the non-Jewish empires will come in and just, you know, and take over the land of Israel and kick out the Jewish people. And then it says Shomrom, which was the capital of the 10 tribes will become desolate 
and they rebelled against God, and the child, their children will be crushed, and pregnant women will be ripped open, pretty violent uh, section there. And then it says that they will return to Hashem, um, and the, the people that return to Hashem will, um, it's as if they stumbled into misfortune because of sin. So basically this is saying that even if you sin purposefully, um, the way if you do teshuva, it's as if that purposeful sin was just like you stumbled, just like you did it by accident, and um, and you're not punished for it. Uh, that deliberate sins done with you know that that are repented for are ultimately treated as just mistakes or maybe even mitzvahs, maybe even a good thing. Um, and then that uh, God will that you should take your words, take your confessions. The Jewish, the Jewish people should take their confessions and return to God. What does it mean, take your confessions? Perhaps it means you should take your confessions as a lasting impact. They should extend past um, just the time of the confession, just on, you know, not just on the day of Yom Kippur, but even the day after Yom Kippur and the days that follow. Um, you should implore God to forgive sin and accept our good deeds. Let, player, let prayer replace bull sacrifices so this is, of course, a key concept in Judaism that even though we don't have the Veda Migdash anymore, our prayer, our Shemona Esrei, so to speak, can replace um, what we did in the times of the Veda Migdash. Um, and we'll have complete teshuva by promising not to request help from Ashur and not doing idol worship because uh, orphan finds mercy through you. And the point here being is that we shouldn't you know, look for non-Jewish nations to help us. We shouldn't turn to idol worship. Rather, we should turn to the God that ultimately helps orphans, um, you know, and, and helps the least, helps the, the you know, the, the, the most marginalized, so to speak, in our society, um, that those are the people that we should support. Um, the, the, so that's the God that we should support. And it says, I'll forgive their rebellion and love them generously, for my anger will turn away. It's interesting, the commentaries mention, normally if you do someone wrong, if you wrong someone, Maybe they'll forgive you, but they certainly won't love you. However, this says um, Hashem will forgive us, and on top of that, will even love us, and uh, Hashem's anger will be turned away. Like dew, I'll be like dew to B'nai Israel, and they'll bloom like a rose, and they'll strike roots in earth like a cedar tree. And this is basically saying that uh, dew comes, falls every single day, so too God's presence will fall every day, and uh, a rose stands out from the thorns. Um, that's why we're compared to a rose and we will be rooted just as strong as a cedar tree is in Lebanon. Lebanon is re- perhaps referring to, um, to Jerusalem. And, uh, the, and then it says our branches will spread and we will be as magnificent as an olive tree. An olive tree is always uh, watered all year long. An olive tree always is alive for all year long. So to the Jewish people in the end of days will be like an olive tree and will be as fragrant as Lebanon. And then it says, those in Hashem's shadow will rest and will be revived like grain and blossom like wine. Um, and their mention will be like a superior wine. This is perhaps referring to the righteous converts, Gerim, the, the commentaries say, that the Gerim will be like grain. Grain is something that you need to basically eat every day. It's a fundamental aspect of a human diet. And um, so too, uh, the converts, those that weren't part of the Jewish people but became the part of the Jewish people, will be as if they were instrumental. And of course, one of the most instrumental converts ever was Ruth, who ultimately, you know, King David was um, was an ancestor 
of King David, King, you know, and where would the Jewish people be without King David and his dynasty? And if Ephraim does teshuva by asking what good do idols do, so if Ephraim now, you know, does teshuva and recognizes its idols are worthless, then I will answer, then Hashem will respond back. I'll look after them um, and like a, like a cypress tree. I'll answer everything that they ask. And then the Torah concludes by saying, he who is wise will understand um, that Yesharam, Darche Hashem, that the ways of God are straight and that those that walk in them will have eternal life and the wicked people that refuse to walk in them will stumble. Okay, to recap what I spoke about, it was quite a long Haftorah because really, um, it's while it's all in Hosea, uh, the Haftorah for Vayetze, the uh, Sfardim start and then conclude and the Ashkenazim begin and then conclude. So really it's two different Haftorahs, so it's a very long section. Um, so the Haftorah for the Sephardim begins by saying, Ami, my people, um, to recap here. So it says, Ami, my people, uh, waver, waver about returning to me. I said, why are they wavering? Because they want Hashem to take the first step as where in reality, they need to be the one that takes the first step. Um, and though they call out to God, though they call the Supreme, though they call out to God, the Supreme one, ultimately, um, you know, they are not united in exalting him, that their their call out to God is just a superficial one. Um, and then it says, how can I hand you over Ephraim or deliver you, uh, Israel? How can I make you like Admas or Zeboim? My heart is overturn, overturned and my mercies have gathered together. I won't carry out my burning wrath. I won't destroy Ephraim because I'm God, not man. And Kel Anochi below Ish, I'm God, not man. This is, of course, referring to just this general concept that, um, that the, you know, the normal course of, of action is that these 10 tribes have gone so far astray that God should totally annihilate them and destroy them. Any human ruler would do just that. However, God's mercies are gathered together and, um, God will not ultimately totally destroy the Jewish people. Um, like, like God did destroy, um, Admas and Zeboim, the, the two cities that were destroyed along with Sodom. Um, the Aftorah continues by saying, those that follow after Hashem, um, Hashem will be uh, awakened like a lion, like an Ari, and Hashem will roar. Um, his roar, like a lion, um, will stir the children from the west. Uh, this is talking about the times of Moshiach, will stir the children like birds in, the, in, in Egypt and like doves in Ashur. Why are the Jewish people called doves? Perhaps because doves are, are, are love peace, they're gentle, um, and... I'll settle, God will settle the Jewish people on their homes, all um, on, on their homes. Um, so this is talking about basically uh, why are Egypt and Ashur specifically mentioned? Why are Assyria and Egypt specifically mentioned? Perhaps because these two countries, they tried to have, uh, the Jewish people tried to have, you know, alliances with, with those countries. And it's basically criticizing the Jewish people by saying that these, even your, your allies will ultimately kick you out. Uh, and you'll be pushed into Israel. And I mentioned that that's really even happened somewhat recently, that countries like Iraq and Iran and all those, you know, uh, all those Sephardi countries uh, really kicked out, you know, even though they've been there for so many generations, they ultimately were kicked out. Uh, even even our seemingly, our allies were kicked out and sent uh, to Israel uh, in recent years. Then it says, Ephraim surrounded me with falsehood. What is this falsehood? Perhaps it's because they pretended to, to, to do teshuva, but not genuinely. Or it's because they were practicing adultery, doing bad business deals, and had human allies, relied on human allies and not God. 
Um, and it says, Bat Yisrael was full of deceit, but Yehuda still had, uh, still was faithful to God. So at least Yehuda was still faithful. The tribe of Yehuda and, and Levi were still, tra- were still faithful, but the other 10 were pretty much done for. Um, Ephraim embraces the wind, the Ruah Ruach. They pursue the east wind. It's interesting, the commentaries say, they pursue those things that will destroy them. The east wind is a destructive wind. Nonetheless, they destroy it. Um, and it says, all day he increases, he, the ten tribes, increase falsehood. They seal the covenant with Ashur and transport oil with Mitzrayim, that they basically, they rely on these non-Jewish uh, alliances that ultimately will, um, you know, that, that the, those those non-Jewish countries will uh, not, you know, follow their promises. And the Jewish people will, uh, and especially these ten tribes, will be left with nothing. So then it says Hashem has contention with Yehuda. So even Yehuda, the good tribe, the one that had faith, is they're not perfect. Um, they visit upon Yaakov with evil ways, and Hashem will repay him for his evil deeds. So even even Yehuda was ultimately punished, and the temple was destroyed. Even for Yehuda, Yehuda was was not you know was not as bad as the ten tribes, but still far from good. Um, in the womb, he grabbed his brother's heel. This is talking about Yaakov grabbed onto his brother's heel. And with strength, he struggled with an angel of God and prevailed. And this po- the point here is that basically Yaakov has uh, a mastery over his brother Esav. As we can see from the story that Esav, that Yaakov was able to struggle with the angel, with, with, ya- with Esav's God and prevail. So too, the Jewish people should have felt comfortable in living in Israel and not felt the need to ha- make all these alliances um, and compromise their, their status with, uh, you know, the, with, with these non-Jewish nations. Then it says, um, the angel, an, an angel wept and said, in Beit El, he'll find us and speak to us, to us. Hashem is Tzavaut, the master of legions. And I mentioned that Beit El is a famous place because Yaakov set up a stone monument there and gave, promised to give one-tenth of his, uh, future earnings to Hashem. However, in the same hand, the same Beit El was also a place where cat, where uh, you know idol worship was practiced during the ten, the the era of the ten tribes. And then, as for you, return to your God, Chesedu Mishpat Shomer. Um, observe kindness and justice, and always hope in God. That's what you should do. Instead, though, the ten tribes they traded with scales of deceit in their hand. That basically, you know, they claimed that something that weighed one pound. Really, in reality, it only weighed, you know, uh, three quarters of a pound. Um, and uh, it says that they loved to cheat, which is a sign of a lack of faith in God. Then it says, um, Ephraim responds, though, I've been rich, I've become powerful. That the golden rule, those with the gold make the rules. That Ephraim says, look, I'm wealthy because of all the times that I've cheated. But Hashem responds that really, um, you think that you're so wealthy, you think that you're so well off. Try then uh, going back in to Indomid, you know, I'll kick you out of the land of, of, of Israel and you'll be sent back into the, back into the wilderness, back into Mitzrayim, and let's see how you fare uh, there. So ultimately, that's exactly what happened, that the, the 10 tribes were kicked out of the land of Egypt and God is threatening them by saying, let's see how well you do um, when you're not being, you know, when you don't have d- divine protection. It's also saying that God knew exactly what the first, which first, you know, which children and animals were first born. And um, so too, God knows what, you know, types of bad business dealings uh, these 10 tribes have done. Then it says, I've spoke with the Nevi'im and provided allegories and visions. Um, and nonetheless, despite all those warnings against, you know, going down the wrong, on the wrong derech, on the wrong path, 
Um, nonetheless, uh, Gilad suffered destruction, that ultimately part of the ten tribes were destroyed even already, and ultimately all the ten tribes would be totally obliterated. Um, in Gilad, they shechted oxen, their, their altars were like heaps on a field. Um, and with that, the Svartim conclude. Um, okay, so then the Ashkenazim continue, start by saying, Yaakov fled the field of Aram, and um, the word that it uses for flee is um, Vayivrach, Vayivrach Yaakov. However, in the Parsha, it just uses the word uh, Vayelach. And perhaps, uh, even though in reality, uh, Yaakov had to actually flee Lavan, have run away from Lavan because Lavan was trying to kill him, um, the Parsha just says Yaakov left because Yaakov had a full faith, full emuna that he would be okay. Um, and then uh, he, the Torah says he worked for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. Why does it mention it twice? Because he first married Leah and then Rachel. What does it mean he worked? Perhaps he worked for Lavan. Another interpretation of what it means he worked is he spiritually worked on himself in the yeshiva of Shaman Aver. Then it says he had no, also this idea that no miracles um, were done when Yaakov had to, you know, Yaakov had to run away from Esav. That seems like something that isn't miraculous. He had to just physically run away from Esav because Esav was trying to kill him. Then he had to work really, really hard for Lavan. Um, yet, despite all of this, he still had belief in God, even though he had to take actions into his own hand. And so too, um, Hosea is telling the, the Jewish people that they should have faith in God, even if there's not, you know, explicit miracles, uh, open miracles. The Aftorah continues, uh, a prophet from Hashem brought the Jews out of Egypt and guarded them for 40 years. Um, and why does, why does the Haftorah emphasize a prophet, namely Moshe, and not some kind of politician? Perhaps it's because, um, you know, God wants us to know that we were protected by a prophet, by a spiritual force like Moshe, and not from some cold hard, you know, uh, you know, some cold calculated politician. Um, then it says, Yeravam um, criticized King Shlomo with trembling. How did he criticize King Shlomo? Because he levied a tax. King Shlomo levied a tax in order to get into Jerusalem for the Shalosh Regalim. And Yeravam criticized King Shlomo by saying, look, you're going to make those people, it's going to be such a, an expense to come into Jerusalem that nobody's going to want to come. And he criticized King Shlomo. And he also criticized King Shlomo for basically oversleeping and not um, and not being there at for the inauguration of the Beit Hamikdash. Um, and uh, so God says, though, you think that you can criticize, you know, uh, King Shlomo? I'll see how good you are with power. And Yeravam was ultimately he became the king of the ten tribes, and he massively abused his power. He um, decided to build idols. To, to start idol worship with the 10 tribes. How did he do that? He put up a couple idols and he said, instead of going to Jerusalem for the Shalosh Regalim, instead go to these idols that I built. And ultimately that, that, that led to a bad spiral of actually idol, straight up idol worship. And ultimately he was put to death. And then the people would make these pocket sized, sized silver um, idols of the idols that Yeravam built. And it says, whoever kissed them, it's as if they brought human sacrifices. What are these human sacrifices? Perhaps it's referring to Moloch, um, the, that, that idol that people would sacrifice their own children to this terrible idol. Another interpretation is, what does it mean to kiss their idols? It's that the basically um, the sheep that were starved 
um, would run and kiss the hungry. Would, 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 they were so hungry, the sheep were so hungry that they would run after and they'd kiss people. And then um, the corrupt, the corrupt uh, you know, idolatrous rabbis would say uh, that, you know, this must be a sign from God that he wants you, they want you as a sacrifice, you should give us money. Then it says uh, the 10 tribes will be like a cloud that evaporates like dew in the, in the morning sun, like shaft that blows away, like smoke that blows out a window. I am God that took you out of Egypt. Um, you should recognize that there's no fake God because there's no savior except for me. And remember that when I took you out of the wilderness um, in your years of need, um, but when you immediately upon entering Israel, you know, you became so wealthy, your heart became so proud that you forgot God, that, you know, we, we were so, we, we were so taken care of, taken care of in the times of, um, Bamidbar. And then immediately when we get into Israel, we ultimately, we forget, you know, how we got there. Then it says, I Hashem will be like a lion that tears into its prey, like a leopard that lurks for them, that rips apart the closed part of their heart, that basically our heart is closed off to teshuva and it has to be physically sort of ripped open, not physically ripped open, but it has to be spiritually ripped open in order that we will be, um, you know, ex- uh, uh, a receptacle to doing teshuva. Then, um, you know, these, the, uh, the, the, these Gentile nations are considered a lion, a leopard, a bear, and a lioness, four different animals corresponding to four empires that would rule over the Jewish people. Um, the Haftorah continues by saying, your help depends on me. Why not turn to me? I'll exist forever, but where is your king? Um, how can he save you? Are your leaders able to rescue you? I gave you a king in my anger. So this is basically God criticizing the Jewish people by saying, can a human ruler really save you? And if you think so, uh, you know, God gave Shaul in uh, God's anger. And Shaul was ultimately... Um, you know, dethroned, was taken off the throne just two years later. Um, and basically, a king is only effective if he is subservient to God. But if a king thinks that he can be independent, a Jewish king thinks that he can be independent, just like a non-Jewish king, then ultimately he will fall. Then it says, Ephraim's sin is remembered and his guilt is stored away until his measure is full. I mentioned this is a general concept of why to sort of good things happen to bad people, that it hap- good things happen to bad people so that they have, um, you know, time to do teshuva, and, and they won't be punished until their measure is full. Then it says that ultimately, though, Ephraim will be punished with labor pains, um, and they won't be able to withstand the agony of childbirth. Why is it considered, you know, this is actually a good thing, because ultimately in the end of days, the ten tribes will come back as if they were, as if they were reborn, um, and I'll redeem them from the grave, I'll free them from death, but... Um, at the time of punishment, uh, God will will uh, will send them to the grave uh, in 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 death. That basically, ultimately, the t- ten tribes will basically be uh, completely annihilated. Then the Avtorah continues by saying, "There will be an east wind that blows from the desert and will dry up the fountain of the ten tribes and will rob the treasury of precious vessels." Um, and uh, the city of Shomrom, the, the capital of the ten tribes, will become desolate because they rebelled against God. Their children will be crushed. The pregnant women will be ripped open. Um, they, if they return to Hashem, then uh, it's as if all of their prior sins were, were just like they stumbled into misfortune. That basically, even their deliberate sins 
um, if they do teshuva, are treated as if they're just mistakes, even possibly even mitzvot. Um, and, uh, and this is really a lesson to Yehuda that the ten tribes are already too far done, but at least the tribe of Yehuda could do teshuva. Then it says um, you should take your confessions. What does this mean, you should take your confessions? Is that you shouldn't just do teshuva, but you should take that message and live with it for the rest of your life. And you should return to Hashem. You should implore God to forgive sin and accept your good deeds and let prayer replace bull sacrifices that nowadays our prayer is in place of our sacrifices. And complete teshuva is done by promising not to request help from Ashur, from these non-Jewish nations, not to do idolatry, and um, to find comfort in God that even an orphan, in the same, in the same God that an orphan finds mercy in, we should find mercy in. Then it says, I'll forgive their rebellion and love them generously for my anger. That normally if a person wrongs someone, they might forgive them, but they're certainly not going to love them. However, the Aftorah says, even, you know, when, when, um, when we rebel against God, we'll even be loved by God uh, if we do teshuva. Then it says, I'll be like do to B'nai Yisrael. Why like do? Do comes every single day. So we'll be comforted by God in God's presence every day. We'll bloom like a rose. Um, we'll strike roots in earth like a cedar tree. Um, and this is talking about how the Jews will ultimately be planted firmly in Israel. And then our branches will spread out like a magnificent olive tree. An olive tree is always, uh, always has water, is always, uh, is always thriving all year long, will be, fragr- will be fragrant as Lebanon. Those in Hashem's shadow will, will rest. They will revive like grain and blossom like wine. This is referring perhaps to the righteous Gentiles, um, the converts, that uh, the converts will be so instrumental to the Jewish survivalship, to the, to the Jewish people, they're as if they're like grain. Grain is a, a central part of a human diet. So too, um, converts like perhaps like Ruth uh, are so fundamental to the Jewish people that they gave us, you know, people like King David, that without a convert, uh, who would we be? Um, and then... Um, and then if Ephraim does teshuva by asking, what good are these idols anyways? I don't need them. Then God will answer um, and uh, God will basically answer all of, all of uh, Ephraim's complaints if they do teshuva. Then it says, he who is wise will understand that Yisharim, um, that Yisharim darche Hashem, that the ways of God are straight. Those that walk in them will have eternal life. However, the wicked um, that refuse to walk in them will stumble. Will stumble. Ephraim carries deceitful weights in their hand. For their grave sins, they'll be kicked out of their land. The ten lost tribes will not survive the birth pains. Those in Hashem's shadow will be revived like grain. And with that, l'chaim l'chaim. And this has been the whole Haftorah.